You're listening to audio from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information can be found online at parkchurch.org. The fear of experiencing shame is what fuels our most unhealthy communication strategies. And that includes our small groups, but it also includes our workplaces and our closest relationships in our home. And that is what we are going to be talking about today. We are going to be talking about shame, fear, and trust. And I'm going to give you some really practical communication tools for navigating conflict in your small groups in healthy, trust-based ways. So first, we need to define shame, because some people go, what do you mean by shame? So we have this doggy on here wearing his cone of shame, if any of you remember the movie Up. Poor guy. But shame is not just the thought that you made a mistake. The thought is there that you are a mistake. And I would say that shame and conviction are two very different things. I believe that conviction is from God. Conviction can be really good. Conviction can spiral us up to the Father where we find forgiveness and grace. But shame, shame spirals us down to depression, despair, darkness, and even hopelessness. So I don't believe that shame is from God. And people that say, but isn't there healthy shame? I would say, yes, and I would call that conviction. Because yes, the Holy Spirit does convict us. And when we feel that sense of shame, he will never say, you are hopeless. He always says, there is hope for you. So come to me and let me take your shame away. We know that the gospel, the heart of the gospel, is that Jesus died on the cross and bore our shame on himself so that we would be able to live in forgiveness and freedom. And that is the heart of the gospel. So for us as believers, for us to learn how to communicate in shame-free ways, I believe we get to be an extension of God's hands and feet and his voice and his mouth in this world and in our small groups as well. We have probably all experienced someone in our lives who use shame in their communication to motivate us to do something differently. I'm gonna ask you to be really honest here. How many of you have had anyone in your life that has shamed you? Every one of us. And I would say for me, that is my greatest wounding and it's the reason why I do what I do. I think that God uses our greatest pain and our greatest wounding, and he redeems it so that we can feed others, so that we can teach and bless others. We don't even realize often that we're doing it, and because we feel this sense of 
shame, of being shamed, we often flip it around on somebody else. And I call that the hot potato. When you think about back in your life to the person that shamed you at some point, they probably were afraid of experiencing shame themselves, and so they threw it back on you. If we think of it in terms of parenting, so when my kids are acting up in the grocery store, I'm like, get it together. People are watching, come on, come on. We are, okay, it happened this morning. I've got two teenagers next to me in church. Nancy was behind us, so no, usually you are. I think you were upstairs with the kids, but usually you see all of this. And half the time, I am moving in the middle of my two teenage boys because one of them had new shoes and his brother was stepping on his foot to scuff up his new shoes. And he was like, mom, you're stepping on my shoes. And I could see all of this happening. Well, I'm a pastor's wife. I got an entire church full of people watching to see what I'm gonna do. So I put my hand behind my son and I kind of grab his neck, you know how you do. Like, you better shape up. I put my arm around him, I'm like rubbing his shoulder, like okay, that's enough. And the big brother puts his arm around his brother's shoulder and squeezes the fire out of my arm. So we got this battle going on that nobody knows behind me. But everything in me is afraid of experiencing shame because the people behind me are gonna think I am not a good mom and I'm a pastor's wife. So everything in me wants to attack my kids and tell them, you are not behaving, you are not being a good representative here of our family, and if I was to shame them in that moment, now I did tell them it's still okay to be firm and to tell them you need to shape up, and I stood behind the, in the middle of the two of them, but if I had shamed them, I just believed that they associate that shame with God the Father. I don't want my kids associating shame with God the Father. Yes, he has rules, but he's not gonna shame them, us with them. So in that moment, you see how the hot potato works, that when we feel that, especially our fear of reputation, the fear of not looking like a good leader, that can make us want to shame the people in our small group as well. Well, I was a creative director years ago at a church, and my boss was named Mickey. And Mickey was a fantastic communicator because I had run out of options to motivate my team. We had a deadline and a performance coming up, and I was like, you guys, look, we have got this deadline coming up and I am not seeing the commitment that I need to see. I started attacking and shaming the people on my team. And some of them went to Mickey and said, Heidi is burning us out. We are thinking of quitting. And Mickey had to figure out what to do, how to confront me. So he came to me. He got down on his knees next to my desk. He knows that I am conflict averse. How many conflict averse people do we have in here? We got quite a few. He got down on his knees so we would be eye level and he wouldn't scare me and he said, I love your desire for excellence, Heidi. You notice how he started with something good and right and positive and valued in me. He said, I love your desire for excellence but I'm getting some reports 
that some of your people are burning out and they're even talking about leaving. Now he was a pastor. When a pastor's people start wanting to leave the group and maybe even leave the church, what might a pastor fear? Shame. So everything in him naturally would probably want to bite my head off and say, you are not being a good representative of our church staff here because you're burning your people out. But he didn't. He said, I love your desire for excellence. Some of your people are getting burned out. What do you think we might be able to do differently? Notice he used the word we, so that your people would want to stay and we could still help them achieve excellence. He partnered with me in that moment for my growth. He didn't hang me out to dry and say, you figure it out. But I learned from Mickey that shame-free communication strategies build trust. And it's that trust that undergirds all of our healthiest communication strategies. So for all of us, we need to make the choice. Are we gonna lead our small groups from a place of fear, or are we gonna lead our groups from a place of trust? We're gonna unpack that a little bit together. So um, all of you, or hopefully all of you, took the assessment that Bailey sent out, the Speak Eagle Communication Strategy Assessment, and we've got these fear-based strategies along the bottom, the turtle, the fox, and the bulldog, and you can see that this is an assertiveness continuum that goes from passive to aggressive, and then my thought was, you know, you can find leadership all along here. We've got quieter leaders and we have more assertive leaders, but what makes a good leader? So I thought, what if we crossed this assertiveness continuum with a fear and trust continuum? What happens? Well, my goodness, then we've got these fear-based strategies here with our assertiveness continuum. So the turtle hides and is passive because they are afraid of rejection. The fox is passive aggressive. They're afraid of exposure. And we have the bulldog here that is aggressive and they are afraid of failure. And each of those are our fear-based strategies and we have to think about what does it look like when you have one of these in particular as your small group leader. For all of us, what does it look like when we lead a small group? So let's start with a pretty typical challenge. I've had this before in the groups that I've led. There was a woman who was trying to be funny, and she said something terribly inappropriate that really hurt my feelings. It was directed at me. I'll tell you what she said. She said, well, then there's Heidi, and she thinks she's all that. And in that moment, everything in me, well, I'm a turtle. So I just got quieter and quieter and quieter and just wanted to disappear. But in my fear of experiencing shame, which I experienced in that moment, I wanted to flip it back on her and throw it back on her in some way. And I can be really sarcastic and I can zing somebody back so fast. 
But I knew in that moment, my leadership was on the line and the heart of God was on the line because if I can trust that I am fully accepted in him, that he knows my heart, that my heart is not to be all that. I want him to be all that. And if I could look a little deeper and think, I wonder what insecurity in her made her say that. Then I can find empathy in that moment and I can respond with kindness. So when we have somebody who's inappropriate, says something inappropriate, maybe they say something that is heretical, unbiblical, or that you know is definitely, they're giving advice, you know that is not good advice. What would a turtle do in that situation? Somebody can answer. Just blurt it out. What would a turtle do? Hide, they would tuck. Yep, they would hide. And this is even, I have in, when I do some groups with people, I often say, show me what your body would look like if you could, if you could externalize this. And they do this, they do this. Hide, they hide. Yes, a turtle would hide and they would not, they would not counter someone who is saying unbiblical things in their group. Then what happens? What happens to our group when we're not willing to step up and to say, actually, let's think about this a little differently, or, hey, I would just thought of this verse. Can we look this up together? It's really important for us that we are able to overcome the fear of rejection in our groups so that we can speak truth. Now, there's an art to speaking truth, so that we're not shaming the person that said something that was unbiblical. And we have to be very careful with that. Sometimes it means taking that person aside privately and having that discussion with them and then coming back to the group the next week and to say, we talked about this together and we met and man, let's all look in our Bibles to figure out what, what does the word say about this particular topic or what do you all think about that? How does this particular subject or this particular character, um, character quality of God, how does that resonate with you? So being able to make sure that we are partnering with that person that blurted something out and to work with them on saying, so I'm super curious, this is a one-on-one -on -one conversation, I'm super curious, what were you, what were you thinking, what were you processing? I wouldn't say, why did you say that? that's not a curious question, that's a loaded question. But I would say, what was it about that particular situation that motivated your response in that moment? I know it's a lot more words than why did you say that, but it is a way that we are able to help that person to stay with us in the moment and not jump out and be defensive. And then if we think about foxes, foxes use passive aggressive strategies so in your blanks on there, the turtle is afraid of the shame of rejection. The fox is afraid of the shame of exposure. Often a passive aggressive leader won't say anything necessarily in the moment, but they might go to another group member and gossip about the one who said something that was a little off. Or 
they might say something sarcastic in the moment, like, oh yeah, that's biblical. What do you think that does to that group member in that moment? They'll shut down, or they'll get defensive, or they won't come back. Bulldogs use an aggressive strategy when they fear the shame of failure. There was a woman that talked a lot in one of my last small groups, and I wanted to figure out how to tell her to be quiet, er, <clears throat> because another group member had come to me and said, I don't want to be in the small group if she's going to be in there because she talks so much. So I didn't do a good job of processing it and taking her aside and figuring out how to navigate that. She said in the group and had already said lots of things, she goes, hey, can I share something? And I knew it would be like 20 minutes. And I said, yes, briefly. In that moment, I could see it. Shame totally washed over her face. She did share briefly, but then the rest of the group, she looked across the table at me and she just did this. I took her aside afterwards and I said, I just wanna let you know that I value what you have to say in our group and I don't want you to not say anything at all. And she goes, well, I've had a traumatic brain injury. I know most of the time I don't have a filter, and so I'm really sorry if I talk too much. <clears throat> and I said, I said, I value, let me say that again, I value what you have to say in here. She ended up leaving our church. I had lunch with her recently, and we were able to repair that relationship. But I wish that I could have stopped in the moment and done that a little bit differently especially done that one-on-one -on -one with her instead of in the group. Sometimes when we are a little too aggressive, we will shut down the people in the group, and you can read it on their faces when that happens. So we have to think a little bit about what happens when we are in the midst of conflict. So in that moment, the second she said, can I share something, <clears throat> My amygdala, my fear center went off. Like, oh my gosh, if she says something, she's gonna talk for 20 minutes, I'm gonna look like I've lost control of the group. This other woman that's a part of the group is not gonna part of, be a part of it. You know, you just run ahead in that moment. And so because my amygdala was triggered, in that second, your amygdala releases the order for neurotransmitters, these are like stress hormones, to flood your prefrontal cortex, which is your processing center. This is a part of your brain that can make a really good decision in that moment, which I didn't do. Because my processing center was flooded with oxytocin and cortisol, stress hormones, I could not think of what to say in the moment. And so that's why I just said, yes, briefly, but then the second I thought about it, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a shame-free communication teacher, and I just shamed her in our group. And of course, I feel all the shame in that moment, and then I can't think at all. So we have to learn how to, actually Daniel Goleman, the, the um, author of Emotional Intelligence, talks about an amygdala hijack. It's a hijack. It's hijacking our prefrontal cortex. And in that moment, we have to recognize what is happening, and I need to say something to myself in the moment, like, 
okay, you're afraid, all right, we're gonna, I'm talking, I have to talk myself off the ledge. Sometimes I even say something out loud if I'm in a one-on-one conversation and then I'm starting to get worked up. I can say, I'm feeling my heart rate go up. I'm feeling my throat get tight. If somebody else's volume is going up, I might say that out loud. I just noticed how your volume went up. When we say things that observe what is going on in our bodies, even if we can say them to ourselves, we can spark that prefrontal cortex to start processing again, and then we can stop that amygdala from controlling our brain with fear. We have to start becoming more aware of what is happening in our brains so that we can get back control of our mouth. I wanna look at the solution because that's the most important thing here. And I believe the solution is the eagle. And if you know and you took the, the assessment, you saw that the eagle was the trust-based communicator. And that is what we want to be when we are leading our small groups. I chose the eagle as the trust-based strategy because Number one, eagles have powerful vision. Do you know an eagle is able to see ants on the other side? That's not the one we want. They're able to see ants crawling on the other side of a wire on the other end of a football field from being on the other. Can you imagine? They have that kind of vision. Eagles can see hundreds more colors than we can. I want to be an eagle. I want to be able to look at that woman who's talking too much or that woman that said something inappropriate and see beyond what is on the outside and look beyond and say, I wonder what they're afraid of. I wonder what God might want to teach them in this or show them in this. I wonder how I might be able to come alongside them which takes us to our next one, which is the eagle's partner for life. If we can see those really difficult people in our groups as people who just need a partner to come alongside them and help them and point them to Jesus so that he can do that transforming work in their hearts and lives, then that makes all the difference. I want to partner with them for their spiritual growth, for their spiritual life. And the third thing that I love about eagles is that they actually soar above storms. So you have a lot of these little birds like swallows and chickadees and things like that. And if you watch them fly, it is exhausting. They're like, you know, they're really working hard to flap their wings. But eagles are different. They actually use the power of the wind to soar. And whereas other birds are afraid of the storm and they'll go hide, the eagle goes, I see an opportunity here. The eagle flies through the storm clouds, gets up above them where it's clear, and then it gives them a whole new perspective of everything below. I want to be an eagle in my small group and not be afraid of conflict, not be afraid of that super uncomfortable moment, but be able to use it to teach me something, to use it to say, God, 
I don't know what to do. I need you. I'm going to partner with you. And that's the other thing about the partner is that we partner with God for the growth of our group. We partner with the Lord. And he says that he is the one who will complete, started the work and he will complete that work in us as well. And that means our small group members as well. I want to be able to find empathy for their insecurities and to realize that conflict is an invitation. It's an invitation to look a little deeper, to lean a little harder into the Lord and to help understand and get a new perspective of what's going on in our groups. I don't want to be afraid of conflict. I want to be able to understand and to help. You know, we have to be super good listeners in our small groups. And I have a diagram that I'm trying to pull up here on, um, it's, a, it's a, oh darn, that's bad. Um, oh, don't look. This is a secret. You can't know any of these things yet. Oh, here it is. All right. This is a super cool listening pyramid, and I love it because when you are listening in your small group, often we're on one of these other levels except for the top. We're either not listening and we're like, oh, what'd you say? Or we're listening for judgment. You know what? That's actually not biblical. Or to tell my story, hey, actually, I've been through something similar. Let me tell you about that. Or for application, ooh, that's good advice. I'm going to figure out how to apply that. But the toughest one that the trust-based communicator has to do is to listen to understand. And the only way that we can just stay in that spot where we, under, we are, where we are doing our best to understand is to be rooted and grounded in trust. Because if I'm in fear, I'm going to pick one of these other ones. I'm not going to be able to sit with that person and listen. I'm going to be wanting to jump out as fast as I can to tell my story, to judge them, to apply it, or maybe even not listen at all. So it's really important for us to learn how to listen to understand. And I'll ask this, can you trust God enough to just listen to understand? Can you trust that he is at work in them so you don't have to fix them? It's not our job to fix our small group members. It's his job. And he does a way better job than we do. And I'll say as well, if someone in your group is fixing someone else, which happens a lot, I will stop that person and say, huh, that's interesting advice. I wanna try to understand a little bit more would you be able to ask, think of a question that you would want to ask them so that you could understand a little bit more? I didn't shame them and say, stop fixing. You know we don't do that in our group. I said, I acknowledge that they were doing their best to give good advice. Hey, thank you. That, that's really good advice or interesting advice. And then I encourage them. I challenge them and say, what's a question that you might want to ask this person to help understand a little bit more? And then that person that was sharing feels valued. They don't feel shut down by someone else's advice or someone else's fixing. And then the person that was fixing, they get the message that we're gonna try to ask curious questions instead of just fix each other. <clears throat> 
So we want to be trust-based communicators, and the power of trust is that eagle communication strategies, the ones along the top there, the thoughtful eagle, because the turtle is going to become a thoughtful eagle, the fox becomes a strategic eagle, and the bulldog becomes a courageous eagle. But eagle communication strategies are fueled by trust, and that's the word that goes in your blank there. So what are some things that we need to trust specifically? Well, first, we need to trust ourselves. And that, you might go, well, no, Scripture says the heart is deceitful and above all things wicked, and who could, you know, desperately wicked? Who can know it? We shouldn't trust ourselves. But I would say, no, God has put you in this position for a reason and a purpose as a leader, so you need to trust that you are the right person for the job. He picked you. You are the right person to be leading your group. You also need to trust that you can be vulnerable. We already said the fox fears exposure and that's why they're passive aggressive. But if you can be vulnerable, if you can admit weakness, if you can talk about struggles and doubts and challenges that you have, you will be encouraging everyone in your group to be honest as well. In my dissertation research, I studied persuasion and the one significant factor that I found that is most powerful for, for persuasion is identification. And that means if people can identify with us and us with them, we are in a much stronger position to be able to persuade them. But if I am in my ivory tower, I'm not talking about having any doubts about God or any struggles or I'm not with many weakness or vulnerability in any way and the people in my group will not identify with me, and they will also not be persuaded by anything I have to say. So create identification in your group by being vulnerable, admitting mistakes. The other thing that we need to trust is we actually have to trust other people. You're like, wait, what? What can we trust about them? They're not, they, you know, sometimes they don't even show up to my group because they decided to go skiing instead. Or, you know, they said they were sick, but then I saw them at Costco and they were fine. What can we trust about other people? Well, here's what we can trust about them. We can trust most people are not malicious. They're afraid. Ask yourself when somebody is ugly to you the next time, I wonder what they were afraid of. I wonder how they were afraid of experiencing shame and how I can find empathy for their fear. We also need to trust that other people are just doing the best they can. They're not trying to say the wrong thing or to be difficult or to sin or to do things outside of God's will. They're usually doing the best they can, and maybe they haven't quite gotten to know the heart of God yet for them. So I want to partner with them, stay in it with them, and believe they're doing the best they can. We also need to know and believe that most everybody in our group has issues and challenges and fears that have nothing to do with us. 
You've heard the phrase that is out there that people say everybody is fighting some kind of a battle. And it's true, and I want to have compassion and empathy for the people in my group who are fighting a battle. And even if they're not saying that they have one, they have one, we all have one. And can we be trust-based enough to admit that and to give, create a safe space for them so they are able to admit it as well? And then finally, what do you need to trust about God? Well, first we need to trust that he is the acceptance giver. Especially for me as a turtle who wants to hide, I need to know that even if I speak the truth and someone rejects me, even if I speak out in that moment, which can be really hard, my book is called Say It Brave because brave looks different for all of us. Sometimes brave means speaking up, and sometimes brave means staying quiet. For me, brave means speaking up, and I have to believe that God is the acceptance giver. That means I can sit in conflict without trying to jump out of it. I can sit with someone else's negative emotions, even if they are directed towards me, because I want to listen to understand, even if they're directed towards me, can I sit in the tension of that and say, wow, I can tell you feel really deeply about this and that it struck you in a deep way. And I am sorry for whatever I've done to pile on in this situation. I really want to understand better. Can you help me explain a little bit more how I hurt you when I said that? Do you see how we have to be super trust-based ah, and sit in the tension of that? Tell me a little more how I hurt you. Wow, that is really, really hard to do. But if we believe that God is the acceptance giver, we can hold the tension of other people's negative emotions and not shame them for them or flip it back on them like we want to do. I can face rejection because he accepts me. I can sit with people in their sadness and their frustration because he's a big enough God. And often in a small group, if I see a tear come down somebody's face or I see an expression on their face, I'll stop. Instead of busting past it because it feels uncomfortable, I'll stop and say, hey, I noticed you're feeling really deeply about this. Can you just sh share with us? what you're experiencing right now? It says, I'm okay with your sadness. I'm okay with your frustration. I'm okay with your anger. I'm okay with your doubt. I wanna understand. Let me just listen and ask really good questions to understand. I also wanna believe, and I do believe, that God is the heart changer. I don't need to feel the responsibility to change others or fix them. I can listen to understand. And I can even ask them, instead of fixing, when somebody shares something, I can say, so what do you think God has been saying to you in all of this? I have to trust God in that moment that he is speaking, that he is at work changing their hearts. And even if that person says, well, I don't know, or if he hasn't said anything, then I can say, yeah, I've felt that way before too. Tell me more about that. What, you know, what kinds of things are you reading or listening to or what does your time with the Lord look like right now? And they might say, well, I'm not really having any time with him. And I might say, well, 
why don't we get together? I would love to help you figure out how you can be in the Word if that's something that you want. And they might, they might go, yeah, I don't even know where to start. And I could go, oh yeah, I've totally been in the same place. Don't start in Leviticus. Here, let's look at the book of John together. Or yeah, how about in the morning when I'm reading, I'll send you the verse that I read and maybe you could look it up too. I'm partnering with them for their growth instead of shaming them. Don't lecture in your groups. I know we have a tendency to really enjoy that and enjoy teaching other people what God has shown us and maybe we're super passionate about it and that's awesome and there's a place and time for that but ask curious questions instead. Be on the lookout for your people who are a little more quiet and say, Joni, I'm super curious. What are you thinking about this or how are you processing this? I call them by name and I don't say, Joni, you've been really quiet. What's going on for you? because that'll shame them, but I wanna say it in a way that draws them out and makes them know that they can trust me. If somebody is a big talker in your group, what would it look like to take them aside, go get coffee and say, hey, we got some quieter people in our group. I was wondering if you could partner with me and asking some really good questions so we could help draw them out. Then they see themselves as a partner in it and as a leader and it gives them that, that thought that, oh, I could be thinking of a question right now. Oh, I noticed this person is really quiet. So instead of shaming them, I can partner with them and say, how can you be a part of the solution with me in this? I want to point them to Jesus so that Jesus can be the one that does the changing. One of the most important things that I teach in everything is the difference between a loaded question or a curious question. We already touched on this just a little bit, but a loaded question is, why do you think that's biblical? That's a loaded question. That'll shame them. So instead, I would ask a curious question. That would be, so as you're looking through the Bible, what parts of it are you thinking point to what you just talked about? I'm just super curious, and let's look that up together. Then I'm saying, I just wanna understand. I'm asking a curious question. I'm not saying it so that I can refute you or shame you in the group, but I'm asking it because I really do want to understand. If somebody is talking about a, a choice that they made and you know that is they said I just moved in with my girlfriend or I just moved in with my boyfriend and you say wow I'm super curious about that so what's how, what has that process been like for you what's that decision making process been like for you and then I'm asking then I ask the second question they answer that and I'm listening for a key word something that might let me point them to Jesus because if we just say it and we just say, you realize that's unbiblical and let me show you in the word where it says it's unbiblical and you realize God is not gonna bless your relationship and let me give you the statistics on cohabitation, what's gonna happen to that person? They'll shut down in a heartbeat and they might not even come back. 
I know someone who was a very direct communicator, prided themselves in that, and one by one, lost all of their relationships. And it's heartbreaking because it doesn't have to be that way. But it takes us being a trust-based communicator. I trust God enough that by his spirit, which his spirit is so much more powerful in speaking those words of conviction to someone than my words are. And that process of discovery for that person is so important in their spiritual growth. It's like a baby chick in an egg. And if you help that baby chick out of the egg, what happens? It dies because the process of fighting its way out of that eggshell is necessary for it to get the strength to be able to grow and to be an active chick. We can't be the one that busts through the eggshell. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. That is the work of our great God. And then he gets the glory. I don't go, you won't believe what happened to my group because that person decided not to cohabitate because I gave him an article on the statistics and gave him a list of verses. Well, then I get the glory, right? But I want my great God to get the glory. And he will if I let him do his work. The third thing we trust about God is that he is the shame taker. That means I don't have to jump out of uncomfortableness. He takes my shame and I can sit with it and not feel that shame because he already took it and I don't need to hot potato any of the people in my group. I had a woman in one of my small groups who was talking about how her father cheated on her mother and it destroyed their family. But in that same small group, and I knew that this fact, there was a woman who had cheated on her husband and destroyed her family. And I encouraged those two women, instead of brushing past it, I encouraged them to sit in the tension of that and to express to each other how they felt. And you know what they did? They offered forgiveness to each other. And it was a beautiful, redemptive moment because I didn't jump out of the tension and I didn't move past it. We sat in it and God did his work in them. People have shame triggers that have nothing to do with you, but everybody has them. So don't jump out of them. Ask the curious questions that allow people to be able to sit in it and to grow because of it. I can also be okay with silence. If it's silent and nobody has anything to say, we can be quiet, that's all right. I don't need to jump in and give them a lecture. We can just be quiet. If we're in fear, if we're in shame, we're gonna jump in and say something because it feels too weird for it to be quiet and I'll feel like, I must not be a very good group leader because nobody's talking. I better say something. But if we're trust-based, we can be quiet, and that's okay. I told you all from <clears throat> the very beginning, from early on in the beginning, about the person that said something really inappropriate to me. And I actually did the super hard thing of calling her on the phone 
And it was the scariest thing ever because it was one of the first times I had ever done that with a group member. And I called her and I said, hey, I just wanted to talk through what happened in the group the other night. I've just, I've been working through it and processing it myself. And you know, I wanna let you know that I really appreciate your presence in the group. I love all that you contribute. You have just, God has done such an amazing work in your life and I love that. I started with value. I offered my story. I said, ah, so, I just have to go back to when you made the comment about me being all that. That actually hurt my feelings. I was really hurt by that. She immediately apologizes like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, yeah. Oh wow, that hurts you? I was just trying to be funny. I asked curious questions. So tell me more about that. Was that, what was that moment like for you? Or are there other situations in your life where you where maybe you feel like you want to be funny. I'm just super curious about that. And I use the word curious. And she said, yeah. She goes, actually, thinking back, there's a lot of times I jump out. And I probably say a lot of inappropriate things when I'm trying to be funny. And then I expressed empathy. And I said, yeah, I can totally understand that. There are times when I know I've probably said something in a group where, when I was uncomfortable as well, and I try to be funny sometimes too. And she said, I am so sorry. And I said, thank you, I really appreciate it. I forgive you, and I want our relationship to be right. It was a super scary moment for me, but the Lord rewarded my desire to be an eagle and to be a trust-based communicator because I didn't even know how he was at work in her heart because she wrote me this email afterwards. Thank you for telling me how your comment made me feel, how, your com- how my comment made you feel. You made the courageous decision to trust him, push in, into it with me at his prompting. That moment has forever changed my way of thinking, relating, and speaking. Up to that moment, I had almost no filter and no self-control. That excruciating event led to my eyes being opened and a night of wrestling with God as he set me free from deeply ingrained, unhealthy, and sinful relational patterns. It is a crossroads in my life. Through the terror and pain of exposure, I was healed from an ancient wound and set free. Who knew what could happen if we actually decide to take God at his word and speak the truth in love? Isn't that amazing? And what if I had just kept my hurt to myself? Then God wouldn't have had that vehicle to be able to do that work in her. Well, my group leader in Austria was also very thoughtful, and instead of shaming me for what I did, she actually was really funny, and at the end of the summer, they gave out awards to everyone, and I was given the Bubblegum Award. (laughs) So I'm really grateful for her who has now, because of her reaction, it's actually a super funny memory that I don't have any more shame about, and... I can laugh about it now, and I'm 
I'm very grateful for my bubblegum award, which I f went and found so I could take a picture of it and show it to you all tonight. Well, let's pray together. Lord, I know that you are a God of trust. And I look at the way Jesus communicated and sometimes he communicated really softly and gently and compassionately. And sometimes he was super clever with the Pharisees and sometimes he was really aggressive as well when he saw your house being used and as a den of robbers, and you said it should be a house of prayer. But in every situation where I see Jesus communicating, Lord, he was trusting in you and God the Father. He didn't say what he said or communicate out of fear. He communicated from his trust. And I thank you for Jesus' example. Lord, we want to be trust-based communicators and to have groups where you can do your work and we can be see-through servants, even midwives who are able to help birth new life, new growth. You are the one who is the author of life and you have given us the privilege of leading our groups and being leaders in this community. Help us, Lord, to set down our fear of shame at the foot of the cross because you took it on yourself and to walk in freedom, and to walk in trust. I pray that you would bless Park Church, bless these leaders, Lord, richly, and would you get all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, you have a few sheets on your table, and at the end of your notes, I've included some curious questions for some other challenging situations. I've also included my contact information if you want to get in touch with me for communication coaching or workshops or my master class or courses. I have a really super easy monthly subscription if you would want to meet with me every month for an hour and just work through your specific communication challenges. And I do work with secular and faith-based staff teams. So if you work for an organization that might need a workshop on communication, then if you like, there's a QR code on the back of the business card in the middle or at the bottom of your, sermon, or of your notes. And then you can set up a time and we can just get to know each other over Zoom or I don't live that far away. I'm just down in Monument so I could zip up here and meet with you. Thank you so much for having me. This was a joy and a privilege. I appreciate yeah. it. Let's thank Dr. P. Okay, I'm gonna give you all till six o'clock on the dot when I will dismiss you, but groups of six plus or minus. So coaches, make sure you split up if you have more than six people in your group and work through some of those discussion questions together. Thanks. Hey, thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of all people. More information and more resources can be found online at parkchurch.org. Take care.